Happy Wednesday. It is the VBAC link here with you today, Megan and Julie. And of course, we have another amazing story to share with you today. We have our friend Alyssa on the line. And she actually, we just were talking about this. She has actually been with us from the beginning, which is so fun to have someone <laughs> that we recognize and we know she act like she like posts and everything. So Thank you, Alyssa, for being so amazing on our social media outlets. We're so excited to have you here today. She did have a VBAC, and it was after a situation that was unexpected, and it's placenta previa. And so we're going to talk about that as well after her story, because this is something that is really necessary to have a cesarean. It, it truly is. And so we want to talk a little bit more about that what it means, what it looks like, and also touch on placenta accreta and talk about the two differences. Before we jump into the story, of course, we have a review of the week and Julie will be sharing that with you today. Hey, hey, I'm so excited. I I really get excited when we interview people that have been with us from the very beginning. Like I recognize so fun. <laughs> Alyssa's uh, Instagram handle and I'm like, I know who you are. It was so, <laughs> so exciting. But do you it's also really funny. The review I picked to read for this episode is from, remember back when we shared my client Elissa's story, Elissa's feedback story? This review from Apple Podcasts is about Elissa's story. And now after we read the review about Elissa's Elissa's story. We're going to hear Elissa. We have Elissa. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So don't be confused. But this is from um, Christian Anna on Apple Podcasts. And the title is Thank You for Sharing Elisa's Story. Uh, She says, Today I listened to the episode that Elisa shared her story, and I found myself identifying with her story so much. I cried multiple times as she described how she felt, as it was word for word the feelings I felt after my first birth. I planned for a home birth, ended up going two weeks late, and ended up having to have a C-section at the hospital after finally going into labor, but my son's heartbeat started dropping during contractions. Thank you for allowing Elisa to share her story. The fact that she was able to share her second cesarean and the fact that it wasn't like the first gives me hope that if for some reason my VBAC is not successful, I can still have a better experience than my first birth. I struggled with feeling like a failure after my first birth and hearing from her and from you guys that she did what she needed to do for her baby and she is not a failure, but was still able to exercise her own power during her labor was also encouraging. I think reminding women who are trying for VBAC that they aren't a failure because they weren't able to have a vaginal birth the first time around is so important and so healing for them. Thank you for empowering women and also encouraging them to do what is needed for their baby heart emoji. (laughs) And I love that. I love that. We've talked before about how important it is for us to share all of those, all of the stories about VBAC with you, um, including VBACs that VBAC attempts that I don't know, for lack of a better word, that don't end in a vaginal birth, um, repeat cesarean stories. And we even have a couple of uterine rupture stories. We want you to be prepared for all the different outcomes that your birth could take. And so we really appreciate that review from Christian. And we obviously appreciate Elisa for sharing her story with us. And now we are going to hear from Elisa. <laughs> 
You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. Um, I just have to say I am so grateful to be with you both. I said before we started that it's just surreal to be talking to you both since I've listened to all of the birth stories and just it's it's meant so much to me through my pregnancy and, and leading up to this third birth of mine. But I guess I'll start with just a little bit about my first and then obviously second birth and, and mostly my third birth. But my, my first, I, I just wanted to touch on, I did have a vaginal birth with my son, but I was a very typical first time mom and just kind of, I just was like, I'll go with the flow and, and see what happens. And, you know, I think for some people that can be okay, but I, I, looking back, like, I wish I, I wish I knew more. I wish I had a podcast like this that I had listened to or something to just know that I, I knew there was something inside of me that wanted something different for my birth, but I was too afraid to like go against the norm or to, to not like quote, be a good patient, which is so silly. And it's funny because I myself am a healthcare provider. Um, but I, I, I struggle with that sometimes with like not wanting to disappoint my, my providers. And I realize now more than ever that that's, that's not why they're there. And I wouldn't want my patients to feel that way. So Anyway, I had a vaginal birth, but it was very medicalized. I was induced, you know, starting at zero centimeters, like at 37 weeks for not really great reasons. I ended up getting an epidural and I pushed for almost three hours and he was born and he was healthy and it was great, but it just wasn't what I wanted. So fast forward with my daughter, my second birth, I was so gung ho. I was going to have a natural birth. I was going to have a, (laughs) I was going to have an unmedicated hospital birth and I was reading all the books and doing all the things. And I got the absolute surprise of my life with that pregnancy. At 20 weeks, I, we did the anatomy ultrasound and they said my placenta was low lying, which is actually very, very common at the 20 week mark. So they, my doctor said, don't worry about it at all. You know, 90% of the time it moves out of the way by the time you deliver. So don't even stress. And I looked up all the research on it and it matched what she said. So I was I, I was like, yep, I'm not going to even worry about this. So I exercised, I you know went on a vacation, like we did all the normal things, not worrying about it. But then at 28 weeks, um, I was actually at work and right in the middle of standing up to examine a patient of mine, I felt a gush and then a subsequent gush. And so I excused myself from the room and I thought initially it was going to be my water, but I looked down and I saw blood pretty much down to like mid you know, mid thigh. Um, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was terrifying. The only saving grace was that because I was 28 weeks, like I could feel her move so much. I'm a relatively petite person. So like I could see her move and I could feel her move. So I got that comfort right away of knowing like, okay, she's still doing okay. But it was a lot of blood. And so, you know, obviously rushed right to the hospital, right up to OB. Um, and was admitted for five days. I lost about a unit of blood, but it stopped and it slowed. I got the steroids. I got the whole thing. You know, the NICU came in and talked about delivering, but they were able to keep her in there and, and she did okay. And eventually I went home um, with, the, with the direction that I could only, 
you know, be within a 20 minute radius of the hospital. And um, yeah, so we just kind of laid low. And then eventually uh, at 34, just, just shy of 34 weeks, I had my second bleed. And my doctor said, if that happens, you're, this is where you stay now. So then I stayed in the hospital, um, had another bleed in the hospital, but eventually did make it to 36 weeks, which was the goal and, and delivered her by, by cesarean. And so, like you said, it was a very necessary cesarean, but it doesn't certainly mean it was easy by any means. I mean, right. I had, <laughs> yeah, I had a vision of what my birth was going to be like. And it was obviously, you know, I, I went from wanting a very, um, hands-off birth to having probably one of the most hands-on experiences you can have. And, you know, being, being in the hospital for a total of about four weeks over that pregnancy was incredibly hard emotionally, but also just, you know, being constantly in the world that things are kind of being done to you was really hard. It was super hard. And I just, it just made me not want to be anywhere close to that situation again. And so I knew right away that, if I was going to have another birth, it had to be, I had to have a VBAC and and I had to do everything in my power to make sure that was going to happen. And, and I really felt like for me, that was going to be out of hospital. And that was confirmed when I um, had my, I had a, like an annual physical about a year later. And I talked to the, one of the providers about having a VBAC and I started asking some of the questions really that you guys lay out on in your resources about how to see, you know, if your provider is, is VBAC tolerant or be back friendly. And I very quickly found out they were, they were tolerant. I mean, I asked about going past 39 weeks and they were like, Oh no, no, no. But yeah, yeah, we can let you try and an induction. Mm-hmm. And, and they just, they didn't even really, yeah, it was, it they was weren't following evidence-based practices. No. <laughs> no. And it was very clear to me that if I attempted to have a VBAC with them, it just, it was not going to happen. So that day I had that appointment, I called the, there's a wonderful, wonderful birth center in my area called Authentic Birth Center. And so I called them and said, Hey, do you guys, do you guys even take me back people? And they were like, yeah, of course. So I was like, this is, this is what it's going to be. <laughs> so I got pregnant and um, started seeing the midwives and they were absolutely wonderful. As you know, and you've talked about in other podcasts, um, I had my this third baby, I had my son, it was COVID. So COVID was part of this journey as well. But I was so, 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 so grateful that prior to COVID, I had already started care with them because during that time with all the restrictions that were happening in hospitals, there were so many women who were trying to, you know, switch it up and, and, and change to an out of hospital birth. And the fact that I was already with them was amazing because you know, they were really struggling to keep up with the amount of women who wanted to, to switch, you know, to switch out of the hospital. Yeah. Um, we saw that a lot here too. Like yeah. a ton of our clients switched. It was, it was just nuts. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine those midwives were probably just so busy and over, you know, they have to try to care. They want to care for everyone well. So it's not like they can take every single person. So, and I just have to say too, and I told my midwives this, but I am so, so grateful that while COVID was going on during my pregnancy and birth, like COVID was never a huge part of my story. And I'm just so grateful for that, that they still focused on, you know, my healthy pregnancy, my, my healthy body, this healthy baby, and, and, you know, continued to make the, every appointment about that, about us and about our care and about just, you know, that, that well-rounded care that midwives are so known for, like that was 
it was so empowering and it was everything I hoped it would be. So I'm just, I'm so grateful, but obviously I had a lot of, not obviously, but I did have a lot of anxiety through the pregnancy of just feeling like I had all these hurdles to get over in order to, to make it to the V to my VBAC, which I'm sure a lot of women feel with any VBAC, but you know, I was at the ultrasound here. I'm thinking, okay, I just have to, the placenta, please, please let the placenta not be in the way. Cause I knew that there was no, no changing that. And thank God, you know, at 20 weeks, it wasn't, it was, you know, it was, it was seven, you know, seven whole centimeters away. <laughs> and I was so, so, so grateful. Um, Great distance. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and every, you know, every step of the pregnancy was just another hurdle to overcome in my mind. Like I just, you know, I got to do the glucose tolerance and that was good. And um, my blood pressure kept being good and, you know, baby was head down. And so everything was just lining up. And um, yeah, I guess that brings me kind of towards, towards the end of the pregnancy. And I can, I can honestly say that the difference between my, this pregnancy and, and my previous two is I just did so much to prepare um, between, you know, listening to you guys and just general mindfulness and just, just staying educated on what, you know, what was true. And then also I was so physically active. There's a wonderful um, exercise program called Expecting and Empowered that I absolutely adore. And they have a postpartum program too. And and that helped a ton. And it reread, you know, all the, all the typical birth books that were just so helpful too. But definitely towards the end, just lots of mindfulness, lots of like visualizing, visualizing my birth and then, and lots of really just digging into, you know, God's word and, and, you know, his faithfulness. And as a Christian, that was just a big part of my journey too, of, of trusting, you know, trusting in his plan and his amazing way he, he created women to, to give birth. So, yeah, I guess that leads me to, to the birth. I think I stayed pretty patient. I think the main reason for that too, is I was just so grateful to have a really normal pregnancy. I got to all these points in pregnancy where I was like, wow, I was in the hospital at this point, or I had already had my daughter at this point. Um, so it was just so amazing to be past those dates. So I had my, my son, I was induced at 37 weeks and my daughter at 36. So once I got past that 37 weeks, I was like, I've never been this pregnant. And it was just also, it was exciting for me in a way. Of course, I, you know, like every woman was, was ready at the end physically and emotionally, but I was, I was overall just very grateful but yeah, so I guess that brings us to the week. So the the week the week of my due date, I had days on and off where I would get contractions. So you know I would get contractions. They'd be like ten minutes apart, and then eight minutes, and ten minutes. And I'm like, oh, maybe this will turn into something. And then of course it would fizzle out. Then on the Monday prior, the Monday prior to my due date, my due date was on a Wednesday. I had an appointment and like I was getting a lot of contractions during the appointment. And when they were listening to baby, his heart rate was going down during some of the contractions and they didn't love that. And they're like, how much have you eaten and drank today? And I hadn't, I was super slammed at work, obviously with COVID. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a PA, I'm a healthcare provider. So COVID was just so stressful <laughs> for many reasons, but just uh, mentally stressful of, of, everything that was going on. So they said, why don't you come back later to, to, so we can just take a listen again. And so I drank a bunch and, and ate a bunch and came back later and they were reassured by that. Got to my due date and I was just doing all the things, you know, I was exercising and going on long walks, doing squats. I was, 
drinking red raspberry leaf tea. I'd been doing dates for weeks in advance. And again, just really trying to like prep my mind more than anything. I kept thinking like, if I'm so stressed at work, like baby's not going to come when I'm stressed. So I need to do everything possible to reduce stress. And so I had decided that week that no matter what, this week was going to be my last week of work because the the following week I was going to be 41 weeks. And I'm like, I just need to not have so much stress. And so again, that week I had a couple days where I would get some contractions and they would fizzle out. And I thought, okay, it's going to happen. Everything that my body's doing is doing, it's doing something. And so that's, I just need to be happy that it's doing something. So my last day awake was Thursday. And while I was at work, I was again, having some of those contractions, but I did not think anything of it. So this is a day past my due date. So I was 40 plus one. So I was having some contractions on and off, but obviously I was working. So it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't enough to make me stop or really even think that much about it. And we, I had literally joked with my coworkers, like, I bet since it's my last day of work, when I leave today, I'm going to have this baby. Um, and I got home at around 6 p.m. that night. I walked in the door and I had a contraction that was different. I was like, that that was different. So I sat down and ate dinner with my husband and my kids. And I kind of was noticing, but I didn't want to say anything quite yet. But I knew I knew it was different. So we got the kids to bed and I told my husband, I think, I think this is it. So like, let's start gathering some things. And he's like, don't you want to actually know if this is it? I'm like, no, I really think this is it. <laughs> he did not, he did not understand how you can just. I swear they're like, never, like they never believe you're like, no, are you sure? I'm like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> exactly. So right after I called my midwife and she's like, great. Yep. Just let things get, you know, longer, stronger, closer together. Keep doing your thing. I went to the bathroom and definitely had more of that bloody show. So I was like really encouraged that this was, this was it. So I was like full on just packing, getting everything ready, getting all this. So like I said, this was like probably seven thirty, eight 8 PM around eight. I finally got everything I wanted together. So I decided to, I'm going to rest. So I laid down on the couch and I told my husband, like, use this contraction timer app, just like I'll tap you. And just so we know what's going on. As soon as I attempted to lay my head on the pillow on my couch, pop, like just major pop, water gush. I hopped off the couch like a ninja because I did not want to get my couch all uh, messy and went into the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Went into the bathroom and jumped in the tub. And it was it was definitely a lot of water. Um, and it was, but the water was, it did have some meconium in it. It was like kind of yellowish. And so that was the first time I was like stressed. Like prior to that, I was like, everything's this is exactly how it should be going. And I was just like, I felt like I was really handling things well and but then I felt like stressed. So I called my midwife right away and I told her what was going on. And I was like, honestly, I'm just, I'm really stressed out. And all she said to me was like, okay, I'm not stressed out. And it was just perfect. Like her response was just perfect. Like I. Exactly what you needed. Yes. Yes. And you know, she's had a couple of lines like that through my pregnancy. Like one other time I broke down to her just about how like I felt like there was no way everything was going to go right. I felt like there was no way, like, was I being irresponsible of having an out of hospital birth after the last birth I had, you know, all these things, all these fears, like we, like we all have. And she just said, I wouldn't absolutely love my job. I wouldn't love doing what I do every single day if I had fear and I have no fear when it comes to you, 
and I love doing my job. And so, you know, we, you wouldn't be here and we wouldn't have you as a patient if anything about you made us afraid. And it was just wonderful. So she's wonderful. <laughs> but back to back to that night. So since my water broke, we decided to call over a friend. Um, so if we need to leave quickly, like we could. And my parents were on their way down too. They live about a couple hours away. And so they came over and I was just kind of, yeah, swaying through the contractions. I was handling things really well. Like it felt really good. It was really great to be able to, like I had really wanted to experience that because I really didn't get that with my other births. And so, yeah, I would just kind of rock and sway through the contractions. I remember right before we left, I went upstairs and my kids were sleeping and I just, you know, checked on both of them and then had a contraction like right in their bedroom. And it was just, yeah, it was great. Walked outside to just get some fresh air. It was like the most beautiful night. It was probably like 75 degrees and, you know, stars in the sky and it was beautiful. And we just went through some contractions outside too. And then we just decided, I decided, you know, I want to go. Like, I think, you know, at that point, contractions were probably, you know, three to four minutes apart and getting close to that one minute. But I'm like, I don't, I've heard horror stories about the car. And so the sooner we can get there, I think, I think I'll feel better. And everyone's right about the car. The car was so tough (laughs) because there's just no way to get comfortable. But like, again, from your podcast, it was so helpful to hear different people what they had done. And I did just that. I got on my knees and I faced backwards in the passenger seat because being on your bottom is is not fun Mm -hmm. when you're having a contraction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we got to the birth center. and we walked outside for just a little bit more before even going in. I just, I, I think that was my biggest thing is like, I just didn't want to pull everyone together too quickly or something. I, I, I didn't want to waste their time or something. Again, that goes back to me, like not wanting to be a, a needy patient or something, which is, which is silly in hindsight, but I just, I wanted, I wanted it to be right when we got there. So we walked outside before we actually went in for a little while and, and did a few more. And then I thought, okay, you know, I really need to pee. We got to get in there. Let's, let's do this. So we got in there. Um, my midwife is there. A student midwife is there. And then I had a birth photographer who is also a doula. Um, she wasn't technically acting as my doula, but she also said, you know, I am a doula. So anything that I can help with along the way, if you'd like me to, I will. And so that was wonderful. And so I didn't really need someone to be super hands-on. My husband was really good about that. Plus I didn't really need that a lot in, in labor and in birth, but she was a wonderful, just a wonderful support in, in other ways. But so yeah, we got into the birth center, they checked baby and everything was good. And this was a surprise. Also, I did not know if, if he was a he at the time. So we got into the birth center. Let me look at my notes here. I think that was like 10, 10 Yeah. So yeah, we got into 1030, everything was good. And they just kind of let you be, which was again, so incredibly different than obviously my other experiences in the hospital. They were just like, you're doing great. You keep doing your thing. Everything's looking really great. And so we just continued to labor and we walked around the birth center and I would squat with contractions and, and sway with contractions. And overall, I was just, I was felt like I was coping really, really well. And there was that one point where I I knew based on the way I was feeling and where the contractions were at, like I knew I had to be pretty far along, but I also was like, I doubted myself for a second. Like I thought there's no way that I can be doing this well. Like I'm not strong enough. Like there's no way, there's no way I'm probably like three centimeters. I don't know. So they didn't, they didn't check me. They didn't, they didn't say they needed to check me and I didn't want to be checked at that time. So 
we, we just didn't, we decided to forego that. But then I'm like, no, I really do think this is, this is going exactly the way it should go. So um, I talked to my doula a little bit about like what I should be doing. Like if I should be trying to push things along and like doing a bunch of squats or lunges or different things, or if I should try to rest. And she was like, if you feel like you can rest, you should rest. So I laid down for, you know, maybe five minutes and then that I wasn't loving that, but she just really reminded me to during contractions, just to like really relax my pelvic floor as much as possible. So during contractions, then that's exactly what I would do, which is, which is a really odd feeling because most of us as women, like we are used to kind of like holding that in, you know, <laughs> like with coughing or sneezing or things like that, or kind of keeping that tight for different reasons. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So truly just like letting like the floor feel loose was crazy, but it was also, this is another thing that I can totally speak for the exercise program that I referred to before expecting and empowered is every single one of their they do like three, three different exercises a week or like days a week that you're supposed to do their program. And they always have pelvic floor exercises and they like, they help me so much be able to actually target those muscles during birth, which was awesome. So I just, I did that a lot and I had music playing, you know, just some Christian music that I love, like worship music playing, which was really wonderful. And then I remember things were getting pretty intense and I had, um, I had these cards that had just different like scripture on it. And so I remember reading through those right before things got really intense. And it was kind of like, it was just what I needed at that time to really feel like, no, like you can do this. And, you know, one of my favorite ones just about like more like morning pain may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I just remember thinking like, that's where I'm at right now. And so soon I'm going to meet this baby and there's going to be so much joy. My midwife came back in and they watched me have a couple contractions where I was definitely vocalizing through the contractions and just really, they were definitely intense. And they said, Hey, you know, why don't you, I think it would be a good time to get into the tub. And my husband, <laughs> my husband tells me later that he literally thought they were crazy. He was like, why are we getting in the tub? We have like six to 12 more hours of this. <laughs> And so, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, I mean, he, he, of course, is thinking about our first birth and, again, also thinks there's no way this can go as fast as it's going. But so I get in the tub and that was, I got in the tub and it, I was only in the tub for about 20 minutes um, until he was born, actually. But I got into the tub and everyone asked me if the tub was helpful. And I think it was the hard part to tell. The, the, the reason I say I think it was is because it was it was hard to sometimes tell if, if the water was super helpful because at the same time they were by far the most intense contractions I mean transition is and so while I was in the tub I very much felt out of control like it was the very much the first time where I was like I could crawl out of my skin mm -hmm. <laughs> and and some people I mean, say if you're yeah. in there before, like well mm. before the transition hits, mm. it's more manageable. Mm. But man, I would be with you. I was in the tub and I was like, I just need to move. Like, yes. <laughs> and I loved yes. the tub. I loved it. <laughs> My whole labor was in the tub, birth in the tub, nice. all of it. 
It's so funny how it's so different for everybody. Yeah. Well, and I think if I had another, I would probably get into the tub sooner. I think I didn't want to like use it too soon and then it wouldn't help me or something. But I think I would get in the tub sooner, like like you said, Julie. But I, you know, I just, it was that moment where I was just like, I said, I can't do this. I was like, I told my husband, I'm like, Joe, I don't think I can do this. And he was like, you're doing, you're doing this. And I remember having the very vivid thought in my head, like, Alyssa, the only way is through like this, this is it. There's no going back. There's no changing where I'm at right now. And so just try to lean into that. And my doula, like I said, who was also taking pictures, but she saw me again, have some, a very intense contraction and my midwives had left. Uh, they had like, I mean, they were just like literally outside the door, but they're like, you know what? I'm going to go grab the midwives. Um, my doula said, and, and of course, like they just know, like they have done this so many times. They have seen so much unmedicated birth that they just, they know. And they came back in and my midwife was like, you're going to meet your baby so soon. And I seriously, I still like was in complete disbelief that this was actually happening. And, and the way everything had gone, I did get pretty nauseous at one point, And I thought I was going to throw up. And I did that with my son with my first birth, but I didn't throw up. They had peppermint oil and I was able to work through that. And I'm glad I didn't throw up, but uh, that's a pretty, you know, normal feeling, I think. And then the most, like the craziest feeling I've ever had in my entire life is when my body started pushing. And I say that like, I had no part, zero part in pushing my baby out. I mean, my body completely took over. And all I can say, like the way I've described it to people is it literally felt like a vice was like had hold of my insides and was rocketing something out of my vagina. Like it was, it was the craziest feeling I have ever felt. And it was both intense, amazing, but also like scary kind of out of control feeling. But yes, the fetal ejection reflex was insane. <laughs> and when my body started pushing, I was like, I'm pushing. And I screamed louder than I've ever screamed. My throat was literally sore from, from just like letting out this unbelievable roar. And I remember I pushed, I had a little bit of a break um, and I was like, I'm sorry for being so loud. <laughs> and my midwife was like, don't ever be sorry. Like, mm-hmm. just think of how, <laughs> just think of how tennis players like Serena Williams, Venus Williams, they roar when they're doing their sport. Like you, you roar. And I, <laughs> so I, I was grateful. For yeah. But yes, two, two big pushes, like I said, which were completely my body pushing in two minutes. So I started pushing at 12.29 a.m. So that was 40 plus three. And at 12.31, he was born. And his head came out and I said, get him out, get him out, get him out, get him out. And then the rest of his body came out and he came right up on my chest. And it was, it was incredible. I, like my husband was right there next to me and I looked over at him and I just kept saying, I can't believe, I can't believe I just did that. Like I had visualized my birth so much over the previous 10 months, but especially in the last month leading up to my birth and the fact that it had gone so much of the way I had visualized was, I mean, I felt so grateful, but also I think it was, it was telling that that was, that was helpful and not that that happens for everyone. And obviously I know full well, things don't always go as planned. 
um, or as you want them to. But in this case, it really, it really did. And I was just overwhelmed, overwhelmed with joy and gratefulness. And we were just kind of hanging out for a little bit. And my husband, again, later tells me that he was like, uh, are we going to find out if it's a boy or a girl? Because I was just so wrapped up in just what had happened and snuggling this new baby. I didn't even care. I was like, I don't, I, I don't even care. I didn't even think of whether he was a boy or a girl. But yes, we took a look and he was a little boy, uh, six pounds, one ounce, which also I was like, what in the world? He is so tiny. He was smaller than my other two. And he was three weeks, like I, I carried him three weeks longer than any of my other kids. So crazy. it just shows how crazy that is. But um, my little peanut, um, Silas Cecil was born on August 14th. And yeah, wow. it was, yeah. <laughs> It was just so cool. And, and the, the birth center experience was just so amazing. Just, you know, being able to just chill there and like truly have that, that golden hour of just hanging out with him and, and looking him over and then, you know, getting out and just snuggling in bed. And then they just let us be for a while. And then, you know, they came back and they did all of the checks and measurements right there, right on the bed. And it just, it literally felt like family was around me and it was just so, it was so wonderful so much so that I, you know, I still follow their like social media pages, the the birth center that I was at. And whenever I see women who are close to their due date or, or, you know, in labor or whatever, I almost have this, like, I'm jealous of them in a way. Like, I know that sounds mm. crazy, <laughs> um, but just because I know they're about to experience something, yes, hard, but really amazing. And, you know, I, I felt like, after my first, and not that either of my first births were horrible or traumatic, like I, I'm so grateful for, especially with my second birth, the, the medicine that was there that really, truly in, in years past would have not, year, you know, decades, centuries past, we could have not lived through. So I'm grateful for those advances, but just to be able to experience the beauty of, of truly, you know, no interventions was, was so awesome. And I'm just... I'm so grateful. That's incredible. You know, um, there's parts of your story that I can really relate to. I love when you said um, when you got past the point of your longest pregnancy, like you were so excited <laughs> to be pregnant like that long because you'd never made it to that point. And I, with my first VBAC baby, I was like that. So my first mm -hmm. was born via cesarean at 36 weeks on the dock. Yeah. And when I got to 36 weeks and one day I, I like almost let out a breath, like, like released air. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, okay, I made it. We can do this. Like I'm good. I'm good now. And I'm like, I've never been this pregnant before. This is so cool. And people would ask me, you know, how are you feeling? Are you just so miserable? And I'm like 39 weeks pregnant. Well, I didn't quite make it to 39 that time, but I was like 38 weeks pregnant waddling around and be like, no, I'm just so happy to still be pregnant. And people just look at me so strange. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But it's really, it's just really <laughs> funny what uh, perspective you have when you've dealt yes. with or been through a birth with complications, just like mm -hmm. every single milestone you hit, like you said, just kind of gives you another like release of air until, until all of the things are gone and you can just, enter into your birth space worry-free and without mm -hmm. any other type of concern. So I, I was totally right there with you when you were talking mm -hmm. about that. <laughs> yeah, it was, that's, I am feel, I feel the exact same way. So Alyssa had previa 
placenta previa. So mm -hmm. placenta previa is, and I don't know if anyone has ever had this too. I'm going to backtrack even more. So at the 20 week ultrasound, they kind of, they look at one of the things they look at is where the placenta is lying. And if you've ever heard about a low lying placenta, it's likely that they're looking at where it is in conjunction with your cervix. So sometimes the, the placenta attaches low by the cervix and sometimes it even attaches over the cervix, which the cervix has to open and, you know, dilate and, and a face in order to get a baby out vaginally. So if you can understand what that means, if it's covering the cervix, you know, this is our baby's home and, and how they breathe and eat and everything. And so if it is covering the cervix, it's a true need for a cesarean because they cannot deliver a baby through a cervix that is covered with a placenta. And then sometimes when it's low, it it's low, but it's it's not like covering the cervix quite yet, or it's really, really close. But then as pregnancy continues and the uterus grows and stretches and the baby grows, it goes up with the uterus. And that happens a lot of the time. In fact, most of the time. But once in a while, like Alyssa's case, it did not. And she had a creta and she mentioned, you know, bleeding. And this, that's like one of the number one signs that there's accreta issues. And so if you have ever experienced anything where you're experiencing blood like that or things like that, don't ever hesitate to go in immediately and get things checked out. And I'm so proud of you, Alyssa, that you were able to keep that baby in nice, safe and sound <laughs> um, until your goal, because that that's hard work and mm -hmm. it's amazing. So um, congrats on that. And then, so there's, there's previa and then there's accreta. And Julie, you may have to help me out because you are the statistic guru. <laughs> but um, accreta is when it's actually like, it's like partially in and like grown into like the scar of a uterus, like the scar. The uterus. Of, like, it's, uterus it doesn't scar. have anything to do with the scar. That's true. It's not the scar. It's just in the uterus. Like it's grown in. But sorry. So cesarean moms have a higher risk of it because of what we have because we've had cuts. Um, so that's where my mind is going. But yeah, so it's like it grows in to it. And so that can be very, very dangerous as well. Do you know the stats, Julie, on like, yes, how many I actually just stats? Yeah, I actually have some um, information up right here on my computer right now. I want to direct you guys to a really good foundation called the National Accreta Foundation. And its website is preventacreta.org. So spelled A-C-C-R-E-T-A, Accreta, preventacreta.org. And their whole mission is to reduce the cesarean rate and which in turn reduces the chance of having Accreta. And so it, talk, it goes over a lot of statistics about cesareans, but 87% of women um, that had a cesarean will go on and have a repeat cesarean, which increased the risks for placenta accreta in future pregnancies. Now, one in 272 births will develop placenta accreta, and placenta accreta ranges in severity. So it can be like just barely growing into the uterine lining, and in the most severe cases, it actually can grow through the uterus and outside of the uterus, 
and start attaching to other organs, which is like when it's yeah. very, very dangerous. The cases of placenta accreta has, have actually quadrupled since the 1980s, which is really interesting because you can see the rates of accreta increase right along with the cesarean rate. Cesarean, as the cesarean rate rises. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So. In 1980, it was one in 1,200 pregnancies that had accreta, and in 2016, one in 272. So quite mm -hmm. a big difference. I know Arabia. that the risk of previa after a cesarean is, is, one, up. is up. It's one to six times yeah. higher. And the reason, like you said, is exactly right, Megan. So like because of that scar, no matter where the scar is, like all almost all cesarean scars are lower or closer right. to the cervix. The and cervix. so- like when the placenta first, uh, you know, wants to place itself somewhere in the uterus, it tends to want to go to that spot. Um, normally, yeah. like where that scar is, like normally pl placenta, the best place to, is to be far away from the cervix because that's where the best blood supply is. And so when it's down there, it it's not a great place for the placenta to be in general. But also, mm -hmm. yes, like as you said, as the cervix changes and 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 like stretches throughout pregnancy, that's where the, that risk of bleeds goes up too. So. Well, and I have a source from ICANN right here. Um, mm -hmm. And we have a little graphic that we made in like the risks of C-section with each cesarean. And so your risk mm -hmm. of placenta accreta, accreta after your first C-section is 0.24%. So one in mm -hmm. 417. And just listen to these numbers. They increase exponentially. So instead yeah. of saying like one in so many, I'm just going to say a percentage, okay? Just for full transparency. So first, C after your first C-section, your risk of accreta is 0.24%. After your second C-section, your risk of accreta is 0.31%. So not too big of a jump there, 0.24 to 0.31. Your third C-section, it doubles to 0.57%. So half a percent, which is actually bigger than your chance of rupture, I will say there. But by mm -hmm. the time you have your fourth cesarean, your risk of having placenta accreta is 2.13%. One in 41 people who have four mm -hmm. or more cesareans will have placenta accreta, which, wild. which is obviously necessitates, necessitates, <laughs> what? Necessitates? Ne <laughs> <laughs> necessary, necessitates. There we go. There you go. It's necessary to have another C-section because it's not safe to deliver vaginally at that point. Right. It's not safe for the uterus to contract at that point. So you're right. increasing. So you're you are at higher risk because of that just because of having that major surgery but also it's a big risk for the mom and the baby a big increase in postpartum hemorrhage for mother higher instances in loss of life for mother and loss of infant life as well with those and so when you're considering vbag versus re repeat cesarean look into the complications that come with each subsequent cesareans now some providers will say Oh, I don't do VBAC, but I'm only going to do let you have four cesareans because it's dangerous to have more than that. VBAC, but yeah. then there are some <laughs> providers, like I know of one in our state who told a friend of mine, oh yeah, like I'm not worried about your family size. I've done eight cesareans on a mom before. I'm like, eight cesareans? Like my jaw hit the floor. I just can't even imagine. Well, I can't and, imagine. and something too, like, uh, that I just want to point out too, is a lot of times providers, they, they won't do VBAC mm. because of the quote unquote risk. Right. But like when you say, well, what are the risks of cesareans? Like, oh, there are no risks. And it's like just this right here alone with each pregnancy, because this can happen 
with pregnancy, right? Like, and so they, they and that can cause issues. I mean, look at what how was happening with Alyssa. I mean, she had to fight to keep her baby in. And so it's just keep in mind that it it happens and there are risks. And so if a provider, oh my gosh, my dog really wants the mailman driving around out there. Um, there really are risks associated with both. So if you ever have a provider that say there are no risks for VBAC and there are no risks for cesarean, then, you know, maybe question them a little bit. Well, I think a big part of that is the biggest risks that people that providers will see with a cesarean is when they're doing the cesarean, which is your increased risk of of blood loss, right? And so you'll need a blood transfusion. But they they see the immediate the immediate consequences of a cesarean, which aren't as significant as the long term effects of having multiple cesareans. And so yeah. you're you have a provider that sees you and you, he does your cesarean, but then you might have another provider for your next pregnancy that you get accreta and your, your provider that did your C-section might never even know you got developed accreta. And so mm -hmm. why would they not be afraid to do eight cesareans? Cause they don't see the long-term consequences that come with that. And I'm sure they're educated in that. I'm sure they learned it in, in OB school, but when it's not right in front of your face every day, it's harder to keep that in the forefront of your mind. Absolutely. Um, Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and letting us talk about this um, topic on your story because it is, it's important to know the differences and it's important mm -hmm. to know the risks. And um, we're so happy for you that you got, you know, the birth that you wanted and you deserved. And I mean, really, you had, you know, very medicalized and then you had a necessary cesarean and then you had an unmedicated VBAC. And so you've, you kind of have a little bit of everything. <laughs> it's kind of um, yeah. kind of fun to hear your story and hear that, you know, not yeah. every birth is alike. And no. you know, this is yeah. one thing that I, I um, mentioned to my clients, like, you know, people are like, Oh, I, you know, I really want to deliver at home. But because it's my first, I want to see how things go, you know, how and I and I always just think to myself, like, Go where you feel most comfortable, mm -hmm. go where you feel most comfortable mm -hmm. and where you picture that birth, mm -hmm. because just because it's your first birth doesn't mean it's going to be different for, it will likely yes. be different for your second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth, you know? Um, yes. So your story right there is just like, yes. you know, a prime example of how different each birth can go. So, and I would just, I would like, I just want to say to that too, like, I would just encourage like anyone who wants something like don't be afraid if you want something like you I like people tell me like I've had friends who are like I could never do that I could never have an unmedicated birth and I'm like you know you could but you have to want to and that's exactly. the only difference between me and you like it's not I'm not anyone special like it's just but if you want to and you feel like you want to then do it and and you know, I think maybe it's you guys who said it, or I've heard it somewhere else like you would never walk up to the, the start of a marathon having never trained and mm -hmm. just being like let's see how this goes so if you yeah. <laughs> if you think it's something you might want to do you can do it and you you know just surround yourself with the people and the knowledge and the resources like you guys <laughs> to <laughs> to accomplish those goals I mean it's okay to want that and it doesn't make you it yeah it's Does okay it to make want you that. crazy it doesn't yes. make you crazy. It doesn't make you unrealistic. It mm -hmm. doesn't make you selfish mm -hmm. to desire exactly. something different. It does exactly. not. And um, exactly. so I love it. I love that you went out and you got that something different. And I love that it was, you know, all the good things. So yes. thank you again. Thank you Absolutely. guys thank you so much.
Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.